Big Conversations Little Bar with your hosts Randy Florence and Patrick Evans, featuring candid conversations with the Coachella Valley's most interesting and influential people. Pull up a bar stool and enjoy Big Conversations Little Bar. Welcome to another edition of Big Conversations Little Bar. I'm Patrick Evans, and our podcast is taped live at Little Bar in Palm Desert, California. Our host, Skip Page, at the center of the Coachella Valley universe, or at least he likes us to say that. I'm, I'm seriously considering trademarking that. I think you're going to have to arm wrestle Skip to do that. I came up with it. Okay. It's yeah. still the best the $9.50 cheeseburger yeah. you're going to get anywhere True. on the planet. I don't care where you go. Uh, we are here. My name is Patrick Evans. And that other voice you hear is my co-host, good friend, and occasionally sidekick, <laughs> and incredible karaoke singer, Randy Florence is with me today. You covered it all. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Notice I said is with me today. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving it open. So... <laughs> I'd like to introduce our, our guest who is uh, interviewing for a co-host position. I you have say, am I up? You are next up. You have suckered somebody else to come too. in. Thankfully, all the past people were not as good as me. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce to you, this is really fun, an old friend of mine, Jeffrey Norman. Jeffrey is the Vice President of Communications Public Affairs for the McCallum Theater. That I am. Good. Well, welcome aboard. Well, thanks for having me. I'm, this is like making my whole month here. This is pretty fun. <laughs> this is, you know, this is notoriety of the first order. Well, uh, you know, I, I know that you've worked for the McCallum. I, I've seen you sing. I've uh, seen you sing. <laughs> we sing on the same stage. Uh, but this really... This is going to put you over the top. It's the pinnacle. You're going to be famous it, now. It is the pinnacle. <laughs> I, I heard that you know, once I leave, people are going to ask for my autograph and... That's that's exciting. Throngs you, are gathering now. If you're not canceled, <laughs> I like I, yeah, I like a good yeah. throng. If though. you're not canceled <laughs> within an hour of the show, <laughs> well, then uh, the jury's out. <laughs> <laughs> it can go either way. Thanks for being here, though. This is this has been an interesting few years for you uh, over at the McCallum. <laughs> it has indeed. But I want to step back a little bit and kind of start at how you got here. So. Born and raised in Lisbon, Spain. Uh, no, no. Uh, but uh, I will be. First of all, Lisbon's in, it's Portugal, in Portugal, and I'm going to be there in a few weeks. But it's not a homecoming for me. I was born in Manhattan, uh, but uh, grew up in Teaneck, New Jersey, which I was telling Patrick was the first town in the United States to voluntarily desegregate their schools. Really? Which was a great way to grow up. It wasn't until we got away, went, went away to college that we realized that not everybody else like grew up that way. And that was, you know, in the 70s with the, the, the uh, rap sessions. And we were all kind of grappling with, with, you know, issues of identity, not unlike today. But for us, it was totally different because we went away to college and tried to retain those same relationships that we had growing up. And people kind of looked at us like, why are you doing that? So it, 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 was, it was interesting, but it served me well because then I worked in Newark, New Jersey for 20 years. So, so a lot we're getting of times ahead of ourselves. A lot of times it's kind of the opposite of that, isn't it? Where you leave a town, go to a college, which ends up being a lot more diverse and inclusive. Exactly, exactly. Where did you go away to college when you left Teaneck? So I went away to, uh, originally to Ithaca College, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I was an acting major and decided that I didn't really like putting sets together, so that didn't last very long. <laughs> I was like, I want to be on stage. <laughs> and, and so I ended up going back, and I took kind of the, the long route, uh, and I finally did graduate from Fairleigh Dickinson University, uh, which has a campus in, uh, in, in, in Florham Park. Right Florham next Park, to, right next to Morristown. Right, right. Yes. Uh, we used to call it fairly ridiculous, <laughs> and, and it was, but I, I finally got that piece of paper. That's all it was about. <laughs> and you, your degree was in humanities? Yes, which is as amorphous as they come. What were you planning on doing with that? It, it qualified me for so few things. <laughs> <laughs> So you were hoping to get a liberal arts I, I after was, that. I was already actually working at the time, so I started my career actually uh, when I finally realized that, that I like to eat too much to actually be an actor, uh, and I could do that and have fun in the community theater realm. Uh, I started working in politics and government, and you know I was I grew up in a in a in a home where my parents put a Kennedy button on me when I was two years old. And really, the rest of you know the rest was history. So um, I worked for a United States congressman, 
for three years, and then I ran an office for a New Jersey state assemblyman for about four years, and then I decided, you know what, I'm really way too nice to be in politics. <laughs> so there was never a chance you were running for office. It, no, I, but that's all I wanted to do when I was a kid. Really? I really wanted to make a difference. I wanted to do something, and then you saw how the sausage got made. And it was ugly. And, and this is, you know, 40 years ago. I mean, now it's just, it, it, it's horrific with social media and all of that kind of it stuff. It was 40 years ago, but it was in New Jersey. It was in New Jersey. Where you know from politics, New Jersey politics. As they say, it's a contact sport in New Jersey. <laughs> you know the old line that, that when I die, I want to be buried in Hudson County, New Jersey, so I can stay active in politics? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I like that. Now, before we get away from this, you had a little bit of success as an actor. I did, you know, I, I, I did a few, I did a lot of community stuff. And well, well, wait a minute. You were named Outstanding Supporting Dramatic Actor in the National Stage Company show Speed the Plow. That is correct. Oh, of what? <laughs> of what? Uh, David Mamet's Speed the Plow. Oh. Uh, it was the most terrifying show I, I've done, or I had done up until that point. It's a three-character play. David Mammoth has that rapid-fire, interrupting, you know, kind of dialogue, and you have to, you you can't put an extra uh or you know hem or haw in it. And so we drilled and drilled and drilled, but the director was kind of nutty, and we didn't even start blocking the third act until like six days before we opened. So we opened on a wing and a prayer, and the critic was there that opening night, and he gave us a great review, and then I got this thing. And <laughs> yeah. Figured so you'd, you'd go out on top? I, well, that's <laughs> that probably yeah. yeah. Did you decide at some point that you wanted to be behind the stage instead of on it? You know what? Uh, what, what really happened was I, 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 was, I really was enjoying doing the community theater kind of stuff. Um, after I left politics, I was working for a, uh, a gentleman who, it was the family business, uh, and I was essentially a glorified assistant, but I was making more money than I had ever made before, and I was miserable. And as it turned out, his former business partner was uh, getting involved. He was the founding chairman of this crazy notion to build a world-class performing arts center in downtown Newark, New Jersey. Now, this was, uh, for me, this was around 91, 92. And uh, there were horrible race riots in Newark in 1967. Yes. And nobody went back. Everybody who could leave left. And everybody who wanted to try to do something to fix it, to make things better, came in and then abandoned all their plans. Oh, the center of that city, uh, like there were still burned out buildings 20 years after that riot. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There were t- <laughs> we, if, uh, we had a, a groundbreaking ceremony. And of the seven uh, elected officials who were there, with shovels, four of them ended up in prison like within five years. <laughs> but we were the, the, exception, the exception. So we, the, the, I, I got a chance to start all over really as a capital campaign assistant. I, I had been running a legislative office, but I knew I wanted to be in on this because it pulled together everything that I cared about. You know, the arts and uh, and urban renewal and, and, and just, you know, bringing diverse communities together. And I got to work with the most amazing people. And so I was there five years before we built this. The New Jersey Performing Arts Center opened uh, on October 18, 1997, 30 years almost to the day from the race riots in Newark. Wow. And now it, I was there for 20 years. And uh, it's thriving. It, it's, it's doing all the... We used to write... I, I used to write these funding proposals saying, you know, one day there's going to be a neighborhood around here and there'll be the first market rate housing in downtown Newark in 40 years. And, and that's happening now. Wow. And they just signed a deal with Lionsgate uh, to, to, to work on an internship program to build a film studio there. And they just got a huge donation to build an arts education building. So, you know, in Newark, people, New Jersey, in Newark, New Jersey, and people are living downtown. And we, when last time I was there for the 25th anniversary, we ate dinner across the street at an Ethiopian restaurant. I mean, wow, I can't tell you how that does my heart. It makes me so happy. Somebody posted a picture the other day. We started a, an outdoor concert series, um, and we thought, you know, if 100 people show up, it'd be great. 
by the time I left, it was up to about 2,000 people. People were leaving the late night, you know, the, the places in Harlem just to come out to us because we were the cool place to be. Mm. And somebody posted a picture, and there's thousands of people in front of that art center it's still to this day. And I see that, and I just get such a joy. I'm so proud that I had a chance to be just even the smallest part of well, that legacy. 20 years is a long time. And, I mean, to be there from really inception, five years before the building is built, yeah. and then you spend the next 15 kind of ensuring its growth. That, yeah. It's got to be very gratifying. It's my baby. Can I tell you the, the, the one thing, um, and I talk about this a lot because people, and, and McCallum is really good with this as well, people don't necessarily understand the value of arts education. It's something that they got rid of in classrooms, you know, years ago once they started the budget cuts. It's not the sports. It's always the arts that, that you know, that get cut. Yep. Every study known to man uh, indicates that children learn better through the arts. It, they don't have to become actors or singers or dancers, but when you give them something artistic and or let them know, hey, you've, you read well aloud, or I'm sure somebody did that with you, Patrick. I just got sent to the principal's office for talking too much, <laughs> constantly. So. But somebody must have identified in you at some point. And what, that, what happens is that all of a sudden the back goes up and, you know, and the pride level gets stronger. And then kids want to learn. And it, it, if, they want that feeling again. Yeah. yeah. If, if, if that can be done through a song or through a dance move or through getting up on stage and acting or a visual art or something like that. That's, that's important. And NJ Pack, we had, we had a $3 million arts education program. We have a $1 million arts education program here at the McCallum. Two of the kids, and there were dozens and dozens that went on, but one of my kids um, went on to become the first transgender actress to ever be nominated for an Emmy Award. Just recently. Wow. Really? Yeah, MJ Rodriguez, who's in Pose. Yep. Uh, and another uh, wow. one of my kids, kind of, he walked into this place one day. You know, big strapping African-American kid, 16 years old. We cast him in a small role in Guys and Dolls. Next year, he, uh, he played the lead in Ragtime. And then he went away to college. And then all of a sudden, I'm picking up the New York Times one day, and there's his name. He's on this off-Broadway show. Then he made his, his uh, debut, uh, Broadway debut in Rocky the Musical. Didn't last that long, but nonetheless. <laughs> it and counts then, it was on Broadway. Yeah. And then, then he got a little show called Hamilton. Oh, I've heard of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he was in the original cast of Hamilton. Wow. And now he's on the ABT, a, ABC TV series. Wow. So that's... You know, when, when you're, I tell, you know, we have our muses, Pat, Patrick, you know the muses and patronists, Randy, you too. Yep. The muses and patronists circle in the McCallum Theater has spent the last 35 years raising money for arts education. Well, Kaisa does such a great Kaisa job. Kaisa Thurston Freire is our VP of education. She's extraordinary. And, and so, but sometimes I tell the ladies who are there, you know, for social reasons, I like to tell them about how lives change and are impacted through the arts. And when they write their check to be a member or come, you know, and bid at the auction or something like that, they're really they're Those having stories. a tangible difference on children's lives. Well, we talk frequently. Uh, Kais has been on Eye in the Desert before to talk about the arts education program, but you guys bring in kids from throughout the school districts. Oftentimes, it's the first live theater they've ever seen. Do you remember the first theater you ever went to? Uh... Yes, uh, the, the, uh, like the first kind of big, kind of big was yeah. was a performance of uh, Peter and the Wolf. Okay, and uh, where was it? It was on the campus of the University of Virginia because I grew up in Charlottesville, uh -huh. and it was the the University Symphony Orchestra putting it on, and they, they did a kids program. And so, how old were you? Do you remember? I was probably seven years old. Did I was you, in second or third grade. Did you walk in and look up and like, you know, oh my gosh, I've never seen anything like this? Oh, yeah. And that's what we want to do for the kids when they walk into the McCallum. Do you have a, a memory, Randy? I'm not sure I saw my first. I was on stage mm. before I ever that doesn't went surprise me. to stage. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear more about that. my second grade at Abraham Lincoln ah. School in San Antonio, Texas. Wow. What did you play? I, I, it was some sort of a play. I have no mm. idea what it was. I you just don't remember, remember the part? Stage. I was like five, six, maybe. In second grade? You were an I overachiever. Very, <laughs> I was a very young student, yes. They allowed um, him to skip kindergarten. I see. Yeah. Got a pass on that. <laughs> but uh, I certainly have had those. Um, I cried at my first musical concert. 
uh, Neil Diamond. Mm-hmm. The I was overwhelmed by the experience. Yeah. The first time I saw Phantom, mm-hmm. I cried. Right. The experience just overwhelmed me. That seems to be a common theme when I see live shows. It's so true. And, and you know, my my grandmother took me to Radio City Music Hall when I was ten years old, and I just was hooked, just hook, line, and sink. But post-pandemic, virtually every time I walk into a theater now, I start to cry. Uh, it's just, you know, we are so fortunate. You can't ever take it for granted never, again. Never again. So let's, let's step back a little bit and let's bring you out to California. So you, you, you have all the success with New Jersey and the Performing Arts Center there. What happened next? We, um, we, we had a change in leadership. Uh, and I worked, uh, you know, I had worked with the founding uh, president who I would have walked over, you know, hot coals for and probably did at some point. Uh, this guy was, the new guy was great, um, but was taking things in a different direction. I had um, I'd been coming out to Palm Springs since about 99. And, uh, All right, so I'm curious, just what... What brought you to... So, so many people in New York and New Jersey would go to Florida. Yeah. N- not come out west. So, what brought you to Palm Springs? I will tell you that I decided long ago that I was not going to be an old Jew in Florida because, <laughs> because it's too much of a cliche. Yeah, it's a cliche. Yeah. Yeah. It happens so, to a lot of them. Yeah, so, and, and I hate the politics and all that. But that's, you know, um, honestly, yeah, I came out late in life. Mm. And when I came out, my gay friend said, you have to come to Palm Springs. Palm Springs. It was as simple as that. Okay. I got off the plane. I told this story the other day. I got off the plane. I looked up at the mountains, and I said, I'm going to live here one day. Yeah. Wow. And I started coming back and coming back and coming back. And then one day, uh, I heard that there was a new CEO at the McCallum. Uh, and I looked him up, and he, as it turned out, was a colleague of one of my most cherished colleagues at NJ Pack. And I went to ask her about him, and she said, oh, no, he's great. <laughs> I sent him uh, uh, an email and five minutes later the phone rang to come out and talk to me and I did and that was ten years ago and you got the job I got the job immediately I did yeah that's fantastic yeah Yeah. so first day at McCallum what'd that kind of look like (laughs) well um First of all, compare it to the to the Performing Arts Center that you have left. You know what? They're two completely different uh, organizations. Um, what I love about the McCallum is that it knows exactly what it is. You know, we are, uh, you know, I always say we entertain people and we educate children. Yeah. If I'm having a bad day, all I have to do is repeat that mantra to myself. We entertain people and we educate children. And that's what we do. And we do it really well. And we have a lot of people who come to see us 20, 30, 40 nights a year. Yeah. And <clears throat> this is the most, I don't have to tell you, the most generous community that I've ever seen. And people are willing to write checks if they believe that they're getting a quality product. And that's what we strive to do. Yeah. You know, every now and again, there might be a clunker on stage. But, you know, you had a great night out and you saw all, all your friends. But m- not even more often than not, just virtually every night, there's something cool going on there. Well, the programming is always amazing, and you know, Mitch does a great job, and uh, that's why Harold kept reeling him back in. You know, Mitch has been trying to quit that job for good <laughs> five years now. I know, I know, but it's great. You know, like as I edge closer to whatever my future is going to be, you know, working with Mitch is like you know, like wearing a comfortable pair of shoes. Yeah, you know? he he's a great guy. Yeah. Oh, he, uh, always, he's a great guest on Island. We always have him in to come talk about yeah. the season. And, and then he comes back periodically. And, and what I always like is he talks about Mitch's picks. Like, he he goes shopping for these shows. He's proud of those. And and, and rightfully so. Yeah. And, and what I love about those, you know, these are, this is a series of, uh, of shows that Mitch kind of really – curates over and above the season. You know, putting a season together is like is like putting together this, this complicated jigsaw puzzle because, you know, there's certain amount of nights that the Palm Springs Friends of Philharmonic have and there's certain amount of nights that Desert Symphony has and then the Broadway shows, you know, book out, you know, this far in advance and the classical shows book out two years in advance and so he's putting all that together. With Mitch's picks, he gets to say, okay, I want to push the audience a little bit. I want them to experience something that they may not know about. But now, after all these years, I've earned the right for them to trust me. 
And so what was the biggest outside the box this year? Well, we uh, we we have uh, actually my favorite show last season was a Mitch's pick, uh, and it was called Hitting New Heights. And it was did you, you did you see it? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, you I was working. ushering. I there. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, I think this podcast is a conflict of interest for you. Uh, <laughs> That's right. One of us slipped money to the other. That's, that's, that's what's going sure. on here. Trust me, I'm not getting paid hey, for any one of them. I worked in Newark for many Tom years. Yeah. I mean, that's going to yeah, happen. Old habits die hard. <laughs> I did get a shirt. I got a shirt. So that okay, was Okay, well, good. <laughs> um, and that was Javier Munoz um, and... Uh, Oh, the young lady's name is escaping, but it was two stars of uh, Hamilton and In the Heights, uh, and it was great. But this year, we're doing uh, something called Industrial Strength Broadway, which I don't know if you guys have seen the Netflix documentary called Bathtubs Over Broadway. No, I haven't seen that. Go home and watch it tonight. It's about you. You must know about this, John. It's it, the uh, the head head writer, uh, or one of the head, the writers on the David Letterman show, used to have a, a running bit, uh, which was Dave's record collection. And so this guy went and scoured all these places for weird records. He found these records that they used to hand out at industrial shows. That these industrials, they put together, you know, it was all Broadway caliber, caliber performers. These major corporations would hire the, the guys that wrote Fiddler on the Roof and, you know, and, and the, you know, the dancers and the choreographers and all that. And they would do this $3 million show for one night at these industrial conventions. And then they would hand out the record. So he found a whole bunch of these and bathtubs over Broadway. That, that was, it was such a cool concept. So we're going to actually put that on our stage. We're going we're gonna to put some of the, the, the footage from the documentary there, but we're also going to have live performances of uh, some, uh, what's one of the, um, my, my, my bathroom, why I love my bathroom. This woman sings about how much she loves her bathroom. <laughs> uh, you know, and then there's like the, the, the Sitco guy. and the, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. So we're putting that together with some local talent, and, uh, and I'm excited about that. The other thing that we're doing, do you remember Carrie St. Louis, Patrick? No, that doesn't ring a bell. Carrie St. Louis was a young uh, teenage girl with a, a stunning voice who won Open Call in 2004. Oh, okay. All right. And she's coming, and she went on to Broadway. Yep. She's been in, she played Glinda in Wicked on Broadway. She's been in Kinky Boots. Uh, she just finished doing an off-Broadway show called Titanic. Uh, she came back last year to help judge and uh, also did a performance for the Muses at their luncheon. And she's having her one-woman show at the McCallum next year. And she said to me, I've performed in concert halls all over the world. This is my home stage. Uh, right here in Palm Desert. That had to feel good. Yeah. We love open call. Isn't it great? That, that is one of the one of the great inventions that the McCallum came up with to really Kaiser. cultivate local talent yeah. and, and, and kind of congratulate and say thank you to local talent. You know, I have to be honest. When I first learned that I was going to have to sit through a talent show <laughs> in my first year, I was like, please, Lord, take me now. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, was my mind changed. First of all, you know, the ta- it's just so delightful to see people so- try so hard. But we, this is a product of our education department. So the contestants are there for an entire week. And they work with professional choreographer, music director, director. And our backstage crew, this is a time for them to really shine. The lighting designers, the sound designers, the, 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 the makeup people, all of that. And this, and then we do a video introduction of all of the, the contestants. This past year we had uh, contestants aged 10 to 82. We had the entire uh, Jocelyn ukulele band, <laughs> which was just absolutely delight. I mean, you can't sit there and not have a big smile on your face. And the, well, and the, the town loves it. Oh, yeah. No, it sells out three performances every yeah, year. It's always great. Yeah. So we were really uh, pleased uh, a while back, whatever day this comes out. We had Gary Keefe on. Uh, the new chairperson yes. of the McCallum. So tell us a little bit about what Gary's brought in so far. Uh, it, it, let me count the ways. You know, Gary is is so extraordinary because yeah, he knows this business. He's you know this is his it's, line it's, of work. His, yes, you know? his lifetime has been in this business. Absolutely. So he is he's checking under the hood. 
He's asking a lot of questions and, and you know, challenging us to think a little bit differently, uh, maybe, about the way we've done things. Uh, you may not see that immediately. Well, actually, you will see that immediately. We're going we're gonna to be adding shows in October. We, and the first show that we just uh, announced, uh, we are doing a partnership with Pappy and Harriet's. Oh. And we're going to have an emo, emo show. show. That sounds so cool. It's the emo orchestra. Yeah. So it's an orchestra doing, you know, emo music. Now, I, 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 yeah, I have to admit that it's Patrick, out of my particular I'll help genre. you out with that tomorrow. Okay, yeah. yeah. I'm going to have to Google that. Um, my Chemical Romance, I think, is one of the, the, the groups. And, and, and Yeah. And you. Do you know these things, Randy? <laughs> I'm 20 years younger than you musically. <laughs> <laughs> that may be so, true. <laughs> but I think that's really cool. It's well, really one cool. Of, one of the things that Gary said on, on our podcast was that he really wanted to start thinking about it more year-round. Yeah. Uh, and it was obviously, that was one of kind of his big things, was we really had to program for the people who are here throughout the entire year, not just the season. I, I think it's it, it's 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 a good idea. I mean, you've seen the, the growth in the valley for as long as you've been here, even in the ten years I've been here, and more full time growth. Many more full time mm-hmm. people. Well, and post pandemic, uh, I, I think really the valley changed pretty significantly during the pandemic when people realized there are certain jobs that I can do from anywhere. That's exactly. Right. Why do I want to live in this tiny apartment in the middle of L.A. when I right. can have a beautiful home in Palm Springs and sit in my air conditioned home and and be online and, and do my job where traffic is only maybe 20 minutes from Palm Springs to Palm do you ever people say to you oh you know it's it's too far Palm Springs Palm I Palm say that to Randy he invites me over to La Quinta <laughs> oh all the time and I live in Cathedral <laughs> City I'm like, it's like driving to San Diego I can't make if it if you lived across the street you'd probably say I, that somebody <laughs> told me the longer the longer you live here your 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 you know sphere of, of is like eight blocks when my wife and I first moved here 12 years ago we were in Palm Springs all the time about three years later, I'm not driving to Palm Springs. <laughs> well, what is that about? I could, like one day, I had to drive from the theater into Palm Springs twice, and the second time, I was like, "Ugh." And then I said, "You used to sit for an hour and a half every Monday night to go into Manhattan for right. rehearsals. You know what? <laughs> you need to get over yourself." Yeah. No, I'm I'm very happy not being on the roads anymore. Well, that works good for me. So so. Um, I want to go back a little bit to what you had to deal with when we moved into the pandemic. I mean, everybody was impacted, but talk about specifically. Randy. Tell us about when you found out. Well, so, you know, the world just started to shut down. We actually had a, uh, the Muses annual fundraiser the night before we shut down. And it was a Havana theme, and we had about 50 people who didn't show up because they were nervous. It also rained that night, so you know when it rains here, uh, 50 people won't show up anyway. Absolutely. You don't want them on the road anyway. (laughs) Exactly. So um, I don't think anybody had any idea that uh, of the, you know, severity of what we were about to face. But, you know, the, the, the dictate came down from, you know, the state that all places of public, you know, uh, uh, gathering uh, had to shut down. And we did it like that. We, we were dark for 620 nights. Even now when I talk about it, I get emotional because this, you know, 30, almost 40 years of my life I've been doing this. You know, and uh, to not... And especially here, because you know, Patrick, when you go out anywhere here, you run into 12, 14, 30 people that you know. So a night at the McCallum is always, you know, it's not only a great show, but you're hanging out with people you really like. You have to get to the McCallum early. And I always say, you got to get there about an hour early because you want to have a drink in the lobby and say hi hi to everybody. Exactly. Because you're going to see a million people you know. Exactly. And, And, you know, long before you have to go take your seat. And to have that taken away was absolutely heartbreaking. It so was we, hard on everybody, but I think in particular in an organization like the McCallum that depends on both ticket sales and support from the community, and when you're not providing a product, and you know, we stopped doing Eye on the Desert for a good portion of, of that time because there were no arts or entertainment to promote. Right. Uh, so, you know, and I've worked with a lot of different arts organizations, and, and some of which didn't survive the pandemic. So, so it's a real testament to the leadership of the McCallum that you guys have come out through this on the other side, and I think as strong or perhaps stronger. It's, it's a testament to this community because 
the community sustained us during, you know, we were all on half pay. Thank goodness we had our health benefits. That's when I started walking a lot and realizing that I had this talent to take pictures of weird stuff on people's lawns and only got threatened to be arrested two or three times. <laughs> That's it. Um, but this, so we, you know, Kaiser, bless her heart, you know, put everything, made all the education programs virtual. We didn't know that we had that skill. She didn't know that she had that skill, but we did. And then we did uh, a, a series um, called the Ghost Light uh, series. You know, the Ghost Light being the only light on a stage when you leave the theater. Uh, and we uh, had artists that were scheduled for the coming season give us some of their video and actually tape video introductions saying, when this is all over, come to the McCallum. And, and we worked on that and we sent that out. And we, we kept in touch with people and we said, look, the need is still there. We're going to come out of this and when we need, we need you to know how much we want you to be there when we're back. Uh, and they were. The community was extraordinary. And now, you know, you read every day. I mean, there's an article in the New York Times today about, you know, how we really need to... If, if the federal government has, has bailed out the banks and all of these other failing, you know, institutions, they need to think about a bailout for the arts and for theater. Because so many... The, the Mark Tabor Forum now, you know, is taking a year off. The public theater in New York... We, uh, you know, I'm knocking wood here that we had the second best season in our history last year. Um, and that's, that's a testament to this community that's and what they want to see here. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, it's really marked. So, so that first night, though, when we came back, you know, that morning, I started sobbing in the morning. And just the rest of the day was like a blithering idiot, you know. And, and to have people actually come back um, was was wonderful and and as you reopened, there were challenges. Um, I you had some acts, yeah, who decided I'm not coming back. I, I had tickets to Lewis Black, right, and and I think he made the decision. Yeah, yeah, and then you know there were people. We we had a very strict uh, vaccination mask and mask policy, yeah. which uh, the vaccination policy only ended this past May. Yep. Um, and there were people who did not agree with that uh, and made their presence very known on social media. Uh, or at the door. Or at the door. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you heard a lot of it. Um, and that's okay. That's, you know, that's America. Everybody is it was, entitled. It was a small, it small It never minority. was about anything other than being overly concerned about people's health. You know, and the fact that, unfortunately, it was weaponized is sad, um, but that's all it was really about. Well, Let's talk about some better stuff. Yeah. One of the things, well, you three that are sitting here at the table all have jobs that I wish I had. You don't have a job. Well, I, I wish I had a job, <laughs> and if I had a job, I wish it was one of your three. Does everybody hear that? Randy's looking for a yeah. job. Kay, <laughs> Kay would like Randy Kay to have a job. Kay would like me to do anything. Get out of the house. Yeah. <laughs> um, I see the joy on your face when you're talking to somebody. Years ago, Carol Channing or whatever it is. Tell us a little bit about some of the personalities. Carol Channing is my like all-time favorite story. I mean, I never in a million years thought I would you know, she would be like like rubbing my arm. You know. So, I we we went to to see her and we were doing her 90, 95th birthday party and we were bringing in all these wonderful artists uh, to do it. And I we, we had a program book, so I wanted to write an article about her for the program book. Uh, and they arranged for me to meet with her. And so we we got there and and I'm sitting next to her, and I started to ask her a question, and then I realized, yeah, this is probably not going to go that well. What so was the question? I, I, I don't know. But it, but, <laughs> How old but, are you? So, 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 but, <laughs> it's her 95th birthday. So then I said to her, I said, what's, what's a day in the life of Carol Channing like? And she said, well, <laughs> I get up, and my trainer comes. And we go and we dance together and we go one, two, three, one, two, three. And then I can see her eyes kind of go. And then she starts, and one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Look, we're dancing, which is from Hello, Dolly. 
right next to you. I'm sitting there, and she's singing something from Hello, Dolly to me. I thought, you know, they needed a spatula to get me up off of my chair. I will tell you a, a very quick uh, Carol Channing story that I think you'll appreciate. So we had, we invited her on Eye on the Desert, and we were dealing with Harry, her, her second husband. I, uh, and he was a delight. He's easy to talk to. I call him, mm. and he's like, "Oh, well, Carol would love to do it. And we'll do it. Uh, d- do you have a car service?" No, we don't have a car service. Channel three. <laughs> uh, I said we don't, but I'm happy to come and get you guys and bring you to the studio and take you back when we're done. He's like, okay. That's great. No, I'll send you the address. And so. Of all of my jobs over the years, one of them was chauffeur to Carol Channing. Fabulous. And now I really want your job. I went, no, I went over to their house, and Harry was great. Carol wasn't quite ready, but she was in the back bedroom, and, and they were hilarious because Harry's like, Carol, Patrick's here to take us to the station. She says, just a minute. I'm almost ready. And, and I couldn't, you know, like like you, right. you're just kind of pinchers. Like, is this really? Ha- Did you see the room with all the pictures of her with with like you know LBJ and yeah, no, and William like, I got the full and tour and while oh. she was getting. And, and then, then they took climbed. out the dolly dress. I didn't oh. see the dolly oh. dress. They were getting ready to move, but when I, when they got in the car, they had just gotten back from Europe. It's a f- ten minute drive from where their house was to the TV. They were both sound asleep, like <laughs> two minutes out of the driveway. It was hilarious. That's so cool. That you can't. I mean, you, you it only happens here. But that's what makes this place oh, special. Absolutely. And I, I, I would bet you had some really fantastic experiences while at the Performing Arts Center in Newark, but. Nothing that parallels what happens here. Can I tell, tell you this little story? So when I told my new boss in New Jersey that I was moving to Palm Springs, he had actually been bi-coastally. He worked for a film production company uh, uh, more than that in L.A. So he was going back and forth. So I said, I'm moving to Palm Springs. And he says, what, are you going to hang out with Ruta Lee? Oh. So about a year later, I was at an event. Ruta Lee is sitting with Joey English. And uh, and I said, Miss Lee, I, I said, I hope you don't mind, but I really need to get a picture with you. <laughs> and I took the picture and I sent it to this guy and I, and I said, you were right. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't have been a that, that would have been a compliment to me hanging out with Rudely. I'd be okay She's with that. She's fabulous. Yeah. She's terrific. She was at our wedding because my wife is Lithuanian. You have to invite Rudely to those events. <laughs> is it a requirement? I didn't know that. It is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. If I, ever, on speed if I ever go to a Lithuanian wedding, I'll, <laughs> You'll I'll bring see it uh, Actually, I really recommend it. Her, to this day, it's the best wedding gift I've ever received. It was a full case of Lithuanian gold vodka. <laughs> Ooh, hey, now we're talking. I still have one bottle. Now we're talking. <laughs> so who were some of your other favorite personalities at McCallum? Oh... Well, we've had wonderful people at our galas over the year, and we just announced uh, our gala performer this year is going to be Audrey McDonald, who is one of my, she is six-time Tony Award winner, exquisitely beautiful human being, and a voice of an angel, Uh, and I've met her a couple of times. We had her uh, with Martin Short at a gala about eight or nine years ago here, and we had her at a gala in New New York, in New Jersey as well. Um, Oh my gosh, uh, Cheetah Rivera. I got to meet, yeah. you know. Um, Jay Leno is the nicest guy on the planet. He walks in. He's got, you know, his clothes. So what, do you, what do you want me to do? One of my favorite things, we had, we had Don Rickles and, uh, and Regis Philbin. This was in New Jersey. Oh. And so we managed to, we, we, I, I talked to the mayor's office, and we got them the key to the city. So I got, the, actually, the New York TV stations, which mostly ignored us, to come out and do stories on this. So everything went well. They did their show. I'm at, the show's over. I'm leaving through the back because my car was usually parked in the back. And I pass by Don Rickles' uh, dressing room. And he says, Jeff, Jeff, come on in. Okay. <laughs> he says, was, was, I, was I okay? <laughs> was, was, this man had been in show business for 80 years at this point. He pours me a scotch and, and wants to know if he was okay. You got to hang out with Don Rickles and have scotch. I have a picture of the two of us. He signed it. I don't want it, your job anymore, Patrick. He said, no, he, Jeffrey has the best job. He, says, he says, to Jeff, go away. Don Rickles. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I did. I met him once when he performed out here, uh, only because I was friends with uh, Jerry and Rita Vale, and uh, they were, you know, they were very good friends. Uh, the, oh, the sure. 
the Rickles and Bob Newhart. The Newharts, right? They were, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were always. I'll never forget. Don came out. He had changed into sweatpants, but he still had the rest of his tux on. <laughs> and he came out and was talking to us. And I was dating this girl at the time, and he looked at me and he goes, "Is it serious?" And we were both like, ah. And he goes, and he goes, does does the girl's family have money? <laughs> it was just the way his mind worked. Oh my. He was a pioneer of that kind of comedy. You know, he, him and, and Joan Rivers, you know. You couldn't beat Don Rickles today. No, no, uh, no. It, it just, it wouldn't happen. Uh, no. But he, yeah, that's so, that's so cool. Yeah, and it was and you're right about, uh, I, I had the pleasure of interviewing uh, Jay Leno at one of the last times he performed at the McCallum. Mm. Um, and he's just the easiest going guy. Couldn't be nicer. Couldn't be nice. Just a regular guy. And that's, you know, uh, frankly, we I don't go backstage a lot. You know, I, I don't like to do that. These artists need to prepare, and, and they've had everybody at every theater, you know, try to do whatever. You know, nowadays with social media, we try to get some stuff that we can put up on social media if possible. But generally, I don't do that. Um, so the few times that I actually do, uh, and they're nice, is, is, is cool. It's really cool. Martin Short, you mentioned again, and he's frequently here in the Valley. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's, he is just, that's another one. Who, the comic mind, how that, you know, it's like the Robin Williams kind of thing. I yeah, mean, he's so fast. always on him when he and Steve Martin are together. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I ran into him coming out of Castelli's. Mm. I happened to be standing up with Tuzzy singing Summerwind, and I invited him over, and we ended up doing a duet. <laughs> oh, How man. about that? That's really cool. Yeah. Okay, now I want your job. Again. Yeah. <laughs> Have you heard him sing Summerwind? Uh, yes, yeah, so we I've been yeah. very close to him when we he were sang in the it. same. <laughs> we were in the same contest. Well, I was, he was a mentor. I was a contestant. I came in second by one vote. Yeah, oh. now let's, let's talk about that. Uh, let's talk about that. So that if was, you'd had a little better coach? I, you, well, he wasn't my coach. No, I wasn't. No, 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 I had a great coach. I did. I really had a wonderful Oh, he had a great coach. No, no, no. Who his coach? He had a great coach. He would have come in fifth or sixth out of four people if I had been his coach. No, but uh, obviously you love to sing. Yeah. And that was a really, that was for Desert Ensemble Theater, yes. uh, which is a great little organization here that does some really terrific yeah. cutting edge play stuff. They're, they're great. How did you get involved? And But you've seen, uh, obviously you've done acting, you, you, yeah. you, you perform. But it's still in your blood because it I can is. tell you really love to get up and, and the audience loved it. Although I would tell you that I was standing up there and I thought we were having an earthquake and then I realized it was just my legs were shaking. Ooh. Because it, it had been a while, you know. Now, Jerome Elliott, who uh, is the artistic director over there, uh, I've known him for a while. And uh, and he said, we're doing this thing. I was, in, I was actually in a car in a rainstorm somewhere on the east coast I think when he called and he said would you do that and I said yeah why not and it was so much fun it, it, it really was I've been lucky I've you know I've been in two shows since I moved uh, to the valley which you know in ten years I, I, it's not a lot but and I haven't really been on stage now other than that for about seven years but I did two shows I won two Desert Theater League awards so I think I should probably quit while I'm ahead no you need, yeah, to, do, that's you that's need to do more you need to do more I just auditioned they actually had a uh, kind of a, 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 a group theater audition for about eight different theaters here in the valley uh, and I got a couple callbacks so we'll see you know we'll, we'll see if we're going to have to second episode in your office at, at the McCallum all day going damn it I just want to be on that stage. <laughs> no, God, you know what? I, I, you know, I recognize my limitations. <laughs> but you know, I, I think for someone like you who, who does in, really enjoy being on stage and, and knows what that's like, it must come in pretty handy in the job that you do have. Listen, I, I have had a very blessed life. You know, I got to to. To work in a field that I care about, you know. I remember my high school drama teacher. You know, she was this amazing lady, and and I saw the joy in her face. Even though she wasn't performing anymore, she was teaching and she was giving it. She was passing it on. If I have the opportunity to have passed on anything that I've been privileged to have, that's a great way to hang out during the day. You know, I mean, I'm very, very fortunate, and and and, and I think it, I think it does help to have a passion. And I, I say that to kids all the time. Find what you love. 
you know, find something you have a passion about. So many people, you know, are just unhappy and and and, and, and they turn and, into and bankers for thirty nine years. So. And you understand well, but but if you can find something that you really have a passion for, it the hours fly by. Yeah. It is true. I mean, it's a lot of people just chase the dollars. Yeah. And there were a lot of different things I could have done that were more lucrative than television. Totally. Sure, like yeah. a lot of things more lucrative than, than non-profit. Than yeah. non-profit yeah. work. Yeah. Uh, Randy found lucrative work, but he didn't like it. You didn't, you didn't, how many days did you not like going to work? Five out of five. <laughs> all out of all. All out of all. But I. But with your personality, though, you probably just figured out how to. Make I found it, a way to. Yeah, I found I mean, out how to yeah. have a good time yeah. doing what I was doing. Yeah, yeah, and that's the important thing too. I, I think it's passion and it's attitude. Speaking of passion, uh, we got a few more minutes here. I want to talk again about the McCallum. This. Such an amazing, you talk about what it means, this community. It does mean something to this community. You can feel it when people come in. Last year, um, I want to encourage anybody who's listening, if you have time, one of the best things you could do in this valley is to volunteer at the McCallum. The opportunity to see some shows is fantastic, but the opportunity to be around the theater Every night. I'm guessing if they're listening to our podcast, they have time on their hands. But yeah. they've got a lot of time. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. The, the most excitement that I saw last year was in the lobby the night of the Charo show. Oh. It was on fire. Yeah. By all accounts, the Charo show was one, not, and I missed it, but it was one not to be missed. Well, uh, let me the tell you. The lobby. Yeah, the lobby. And we, we actually had a private event for donors the next day with her. I mean, she was kutchy kutching from the minute she walked into the room. I've never seen a woman with so much energy. The and number of she uh, stopped and queens dressed oh, yeah, as yeah. her that night. You got to love it. I it mean, was yeah. crazy. We're hoping the same thing happens with the share show this fall. Uh, but um, she made everybody feel special. And this is a woman who's been doing this 50-some-odd years. She made sure everybody who wanted a picture with her got a picture with her. And everyone, she was posing like it's the first time she ever posed for a picture. It's just remarkable. But thank you for talking about the volunteers, because our volunteers are the lifeblood of our organization. They, the amount of money that they save us every year you know, is, you know, is incalculable. Um, but they are also the first uh, greeting that people get when they come to the theater. And we, you know, people will sometimes complain about the show or something like that, but they will always say, but I was greeted so well there. And so if anybody is interested in becoming a volunteer, we, we absolutely need volunteer ushers. Um, go on to McCallumTheater.org. Uh, and, and click on the volunteer uh, portal there. You can fill out an application. They'll get back to you. We'd love to have you. And they've got pretty low standards. Yeah. So, well, you got in. I got in for, for the entire last year. Yeah. Uh, we talk- got very lucky with somebody with your credentials, my friend. Thank you, and thank that's, you. that's the wonderful thing, though. You, you talk to some of your fellow volunteers. Oh, yeah. These are all accomplished people who care about arts and culture and, you know, and, and have great backstories themselves. Yeah. That's exactly right. Talk a little bit about the upcoming season. I know we're kind of in the lull of summer here, but the, the new season's been announced and there's some really great things yeah. and some new things and some old favorites coming back. We have a, we have a great Broadway season. We've got uh, The Share Show. Uh, we have Pretty Woman uh, and Mean Girls, right. which I saw in New York, and it's really fun. Uh, we have Les Mis back for the first time in three decades. It which has not been... I can't wait. It's my favorite musical. Oh, you talk great. about crying. And I mean, I, right? For me, Les Mis is just... I know it, 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 perhaps some people think it's a little cliche, but I love it. Some people say, that's ah, too depressing and all that. It's just, it, the theatricality is just, yeah, and, and this particular production, they use a lot of projections and stuff like that. It's, it's innovative and really interesting. And then Chicago, which is always fun. Um, we have a salute to John Williams uh, with a full orchestra. Uh, two nights of that, which is going to be fantastic. All of his movie scores uh, are going to be done live on our stage. The Valley loves those shows, don't they? Yeah, they really do. Yeah. Um, we have, uh, oh my goodness, we, you know, we've got all the divas coming back, Chris and Chenoweth and Patty Lapone. Uh, we, uh, we've been doing for the last several years a, a National Geographic speaker series. Yes. Apparently, National Geographic pulled their uh, their name from this series, or 
I think, well, I'm not going to speculate, but our uh, our city was one of the ones where it was bold. So Mitch went and curated his own adventure speaker series. So we're going to continue with in that vein. The first one is going to be uh, Sir Edmund Hillary's son we're bringing in from New Zealand. And wow. he's going to speak... Uh, uh, to the audience, and those those things are really interesting, and they've they've done really well for us. We they started out a little slow, but now we're packing the houses with those. That's fantastic. So yeah, we've got the ten tenors will be back. Right, pink Martini will be back. Everybody loves Pink Martini. They're fantastic. Everybody loves Pink. Yeah. Well. Yeah. You know, but and, and it's interesting. Sometimes we hear people say, "Oh, you know, McCallum does the same stuff a lot." And, and that's partially true because it's what our audience wants to see. But you're never going to see the same show twice. No. So if Pink Martini comes back, they're going to have a brand new show. If the Tentanas come back, they're going to have a brand new show. And, and so come on down. It's, it's worth seeing them again. If you love an artist, you want to see what they... You know what we also have? I'm sorry. We, we, uh, the, we have the, the last final concert tour of the Manhattan Transfer. Oh, oh their farewell tour. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're I'll really... I'm, I'm going to be there. I'll yeah, be there. I'm not going to miss that. I love them from the first time I ever heard of them. I actually watched their TV show. Oh, remember that? <laughs> That's right. They, said they had a summer uh, they replacement did. series. They did. Yeah. It was good. Uh, the McCallum is such a treasure. And... I know it must be a, a privilege and a pleasure to work there. It's got to be a great... I mean, I think I have one of the best jobs in this valley, but, you know, one day you and I can swap for maybe a day or two. That would be fun, too. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, listen, I have great colleagues. We have an incredibly supportive board of trustees. Uh, we have our muses and patroness circle who are, you know, have my heart. These, these women work so hard, and they care so much about the theater. Um, and we have our wonderful volunteers, and we have our wonderful audience. And that's uh, just a recipe for success. And, again, it's, it's a privilege. Well, it's an intimate experience. You only have, what, 1,200? 1,127. So it's, it's, it's a great place to go see yeah. a show, any show, because you're, you're right there. Not a bad seat in the house. No. It's, yeah. a, it's a fantastic uh, pillar of this community. And thanks for the part that you've played in it. You've you. brought a lot of the stuff to the Valley, so thank you for that. It's, you know, I, I, when I moved here, I knew two people. And now I know more. <laughs> <laughs> a lot more. Three of us That's sitting right, right here. Exactly. That's right. I already exponentially. Uh, That's right. That's <laughs> right. Jeffrey, well, thank you for joining us. We so appreciate you taking time. What a uh, pleasure. Uh, to come on our little podcast, Big Conversations Little Bar. You can find that at bigconversationslittlebar.com and all of your favorite podcast platforms. <laughs> Thanks to John McMullen, our producer and engineer. And thank you, Randy. It's always a pleasure. I love sitting here with you, Patrick. We always we get the best guests in the valley. We do, and it makes up for a lot. <laughs> <laughs> makes up for the rest of the company, doesn't it? <laughs> hey, thanks for joining us for Big Conversations Little Bar, and please join us again soon. Thanks for listening to Big Conversations Little Bar. Join Randy and Patrick next time as we keep the conversation going right here on Big Conversations Little Bar. Yeah.